For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Millennial Money. Today we've got a lot of things to talk about. We're going to start by talking about uh, stocks and what the heck happened in the market yesterday. And we'll talk a little bit about a lawsuit. And of course, we'll talk about Bitcoin under 30,000. A lot to cover. But folks, I want to start with you. Uh, Jeremy, uh, why don't you start us off? What the heck happened on Monday? And then I want to know what Andre and Graham did about it. Yeah. Really quick, uh, before Jeremy talks about what happened on Monday, we got to talk about what happened on Monday. And uh, it's down below in the description because we got a Millennial Money Clips channel. This is the first time ever that we've mentioned it in the first minute. Uh, guys, go and subscribe to that Millennial Money Clips channel. I think we're almost at 20,000 subscribers right now. Yes. You'll find the link right under the link to Weeble where you could get two free stocks as long as you deposit $100. <laughs> wow holy smokers that ain't no jokers oh my gosh Woo! okay guys so yeah man it was ugly yesterday was ugly in the market I, i'll tell you that dow was down about a thousand points roughly at the at the lows uh we had russell continuing to sell off yesterday and it's amazing because the small cap stocks have been selling off you know, no one's really noticed it except for uh, maybe us and, and a lot of our subscribers that are maybe in some of the smaller stocks, some of the high growth names, right? But I feel like Wall Street as a whole hasn't noticed this big sell-off because Wall Street's really caught up into the big companies, big tech. Those stocks have been pumping, man. Apple, Google, uh, Microsoft, a lot of those stocks, uh, Amazon are, are near 52-week highs. But meanwhile, everything else has been selling off. It sells off again yesterday. I did some buying yesterday, I'll be honest, um, and, and I did switch out a position. Uh, I did sell some Shopify stock, which uh, <gasps> has been, yeah, it's been, oh, I, I love Shopify, but it, that stock had been pumping heavy, and uh, I'm seeing a lot of these other deals out there. A lot of stocks I'm looking at are down 50, 60, 70%, 52-week highs. And, what, what are you uh, buying, Win? Uh, I've been buying some win options, but I'm really trying to wait for the 2024s to come out in less than two months. Uh, bought some Corsair because Corsair yesterday was at 28 and change. Yeah. Yeah. So some Corsair, some Voyager Digital and at like $10. Oh my gosh, $10. At $10. Yes. yes. What's up with that, man? Oh. Yeah. It's just following crypto, man. So that, that's what's going on there. But uh, yeah. What about you guys? Are you making any, any moves yesterday specifically with that big sell-off? Yeah. Yeah. I Bought some rocket. It dropped below seventeen dollars briefly, and I was like, "How could this not?" I mean, it's it's. I don't know why it's been selling off. Maybe Kevin. Maybe you know more than I do. I'm looking at this thing, and there's no reason today it should be down like six percent or whatever it was. So I bought some rocket. I bought uh, Ally. I think that dropped like forty six dollars at the low. I'm like, again, I, I think pre like before fifty bucks. It, it seems seems good. And then obviously more S and P. And uh, started buying a little, a little bit more Bitcoin. Started, started. Yeah, I think on Rocket, one of the reasons we're seeing that sort of trend down is because you're kind of in this weird position where if there's no inflation, then or low inflation, then then rates stay low, and it's kind of like okay, people have already refinanced, you know. 
if if rates go up, then maybe there's more spread and more profit to be had, but then less people are buying, so you lose the buyer. So it's kind of like no matter which way, people when it, when it, right now with how uncertain the rate market is, I feel like the ones bearing the brunt of it are Rocket Mortgage and United Wholesale Mortgage Company. I think both of them are phenomenal companies. It's just the market is just not showing them any love right now. Right. It's cr so crazy that the market dips 2% and people freak out. <laughs> it's like oh, you're one of those market. commenters. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Here's, yeah, here's the I thing, mean, though. It's not just 2%, 2 every single day. And it's like, oh, wake me up when it gets fun. But no, I just... <laughs> I just bought index funds. I didn't buy anything specific other than you guys are going to kind of hate me for this. I, I applied for a loan on a car. Oh. So uh, I'm getting a car. You are a Tesla. That's the only loan you could apply for. Yeah, that's what I did. You did. <laughs> I did, Dude, man. Yeah. Uh, a Model Y, a long Model Y. Yeah. They actually, so Tesla offered me 2.5%, which is their base rate. So I go on Reddit and I'm like, is this really the best rate? And people are like, no, just email their team. And people are getting it dropped to like 1.8. But this was oh. like four to six months ago when it wasn't as crazy. So Tesla raised its floor to 2.5%. And they were like, if you can beat us, then, you know, by all means, go with them. I asked, I kid you not, like every bank under the sun, what their base, what their best rate was. And their best rates for like Chase, for example, their auto loans are three and a half percent. So I applied with uh, Credit Union, which I won't mention just because I'm not promoting that, but uh, Credit Union, and they gave me 1.9 percent, which is pretty great. So I went with them. Oh. Yes. Yes. So I actually support what you're doing. First of all, I think it's very smart that you're getting the Y and you're not like blowing it on, on an S because it's so easy to, to like, oh, I want to have the latest and greatest, the plat or whatever. That's a lot of money. I mean, you could buy like four, four Ys. Right. Uh, so I think that's great. You're getting like the same tech and, and the same everything, right? I'm, I'm all for that. And I'm all for you doing the loan, man. I still yeah. have the loan on my Model X that I got in 2017. I got 1.49% in 2017 wow. and I still have it. <laughs> That's amazing. I yeah. wish there were rates for that good now. Why do you guys think they raised the base rate to 2.5 now? Is that because of the shortage or just it's just selling like hotcakes even with two and a half? I think hotcakes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, th I think Tesla knows that they're competitive. And I think if if people were going elsewhere, Tesla would lower the rates to be more competitive. But when the, when they're the lowest and they're selling their own product, it makes sense. Mm. Yeah. You, and, and Andre, you brought up a really good point there. And to a lot of folks watching this who uh, haven't really built up your credit score. And I don't know how much we actually talk about this on any of our channels, to be honest. But I remember when I had a almost a, a very lack of a credit score, let's put it that way. You know, I got kind of, you know, a, a really bad rate from a bank. And then uh, I was told you need to go uh, to a credit union and uh, actually go ahead and, uh, you know, open up an account with them. And likely you're, you're going to be able to get a much lower rate in a very quick amount of time than going through the actual corporate banking system. And they were 100 percent right. I think I got a two percent or two percentage points or three percentage points lower of a loan with the credit union that I'd set up an account with versus uh, what, what banks were trying to give me at that time. Yeah, it's incredible how much better credit unions are for loans that like you, you will not get a better rate from anywhere other than the credit union. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah and one thing crazy realize, too. Oh, okay. yeah. Graham. 
Uh, what's crazy too, that they, they don't tell you this, but uh, for auto loans, apparently, if you ever want to get a really expensive loan, like let's say Andre, one day you're like, I want to go and buy that Lamborghini and I want to get a loan on that Lamborghini. Almost no bank, believe it or not, even with your income on it, even if you're making a million, two million dollars a year, banks will hesitate lending you money on a Lamborghini if that is your first auto loan in that category. Oh. It's so weird. They want to see you have a, his a history with paying off specifically auto loans. And it was someone else I was talking to you about this because I've never applied for like a high end like car loan like that. But they say even with a good credit score and a mortgage and high income, they want to see that you've had a history building up to those cars. And I had the same issue with the Ford GT insurance. Um, every, no, no one wanted to insure me on the Ford GT because I had zero history with insuring an expensive car like that. Believe it or not, it's, it's wild. There's too high of a risk. So you have to start off with an insurance company to pay like some ridiculous rate up front, kind of get that out of the way, be insured, and then other insurance companies will accept you. How did you get around that? How did uh, you GT40? Yeah, I found uh, one insurance broker who actually agreed to insure me on this car. Uh, I kid you not. There, I, I probably got three different quotes. They all wanted four to five thousand dollars a year for me to drive fifteen hundred miles. In oh my gosh! Years. Because I had no experience operating a vehicle like this. So, so, so now your crewing experience with the car sitting in your garage. <laughs> Basically, but I found one insurance company who insured me $1,500 a year. That's incredible. miles a year with a stated value of the car, which is something that's really important. Uh, you also got a loan or did you pay it in cash? I that? paid for it in cash. It wasn't worth yeah. it to go and try shopping her for a loan. I wasn't going to do oh. that. But uh, but yeah, uh, so, but I could I could always get a loan. It's pro probably smarter for me to have gotten a loan on that just to show that I have a loan, even if you paid off after a few months. So you I don't want you guys would like burn me if I said that I bought a three hundred thousand dollar thousand dollar cash car. Like you, you guys would just probably. like destroy me. You'd be like, oh, <laughs> this whole video is going to be about. But Andre, a Model Y is not an investment. This car, believe it or not, has gone up in value. So I bought a three hundred six. Oh, now, now these cars are selling for like three seventy five, and there was a recent one that sold at auction for four hundred thousand dollars. It had fifteen hundred fewer miles than mine did. I don't and, know. It just seems like such a terrifying investment, though, because it's not like a stock or real estate. I mean, you could take it out one time, and it's, it's mm -hmm. wrecked and it's destroyed, and there goes your three hundred thousand dollars. No, that's why you have insurance. Oh no! Oh, well. Um, <laughs> Wait a minute. I think we'll wait have to pick that conversation up elsewhere. <laughs> yeah. We, we got to wait till uh, the I end of the go, video tone each other. Yeah. I, I, I want to go back, if y'all don't mind, to something uh, Andre said. Uh, Andre mentioned, hey, the S&P was just, or Dow or whatever, was just down 2% yes, uh, yesterday. Why is it such a big deal? Uh, I think there are two reasons. Uh, one, 88% of stocks yesterday closed red. That's like everything i mean we didn't we didn't get to a 90 percent day but that's a lot of red and then of that a lot of the higher risk stuff like uh whether it was uh it actually it was a little bit of everything it was yesterday was so weird it was tech spacs like higher value tech and spacs selling off like crazy but also all the recovery stuff cheesecake the airlines nordstrom's win it didn't it got wrecked yesterday i mean it's all back today which is just like showing the bipolarness of the market but i want to know where you guys how, how are you handling this this crazy bipolarness of the market I thought you were going to say, this is an inflection point. This is a series <laughs> where the market's going to go down. 
I don't know. I, uh, you know, I will interrupt and just say quickly. I, I yesterday while I was watching the market do its thing or, or doing my live streams, uh, I was thinking to myself, it's it's too soon to tell on on just one of these panicky days if it's actually like a switch, right? So I spent most of yesterday thinking to myself, let's see what happens tomorrow because I thought there was a good chance we might get. Uh, like a May, like a middle of May, where you saw two or three or four just bloody red days in a row, where this was just going to be a bloody week. So mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time sitting on the sidelines watching yesterday, which things weren't cheap for me, at least. I, I wasn't seeing major deals to where I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to buy. Uh, so I was willing to be patient. But uh, boy, I, I have to say, I'm very shocked that it rotated back this quickly. You know, I think it'd be a fun exercise if we, I guess pretended for a moment that we did get a COVID variant because mm. I, I think I could speak for everyone. Like I wish we could go back in time and know what would happen with COVID, how long it lasted, how much prices dipped, how much we recovered. And if that happens again, would we be able to capitalize on what we know from the previous one or would it happen in a different way this time? It happened in a different way because now you have companies that took on a lot of debt uh, and a lot of money already injected into the economy, and you have to do that again. I mean, everything at this point is unprecedented, so there'd be no way to predict, I, I don't think. Uh, hey, you think, Jeremy? Yeah, well, I actually want to come back to this because I think this is an interesting argument, but I want to push back on you, Mr. Kevin, for a minute here, Mr. Meet Kevin, okay? What are you saying? <laughs> Dang it, he's gone. Okay, let's just go on. <laughs> so, Kevin, wait a minute here. Okay, a lot of stocks down 40, 50, 60 plus percent from 52 week highs. I don't understand this concept of there's no good deals, there's no deals. I understand if we're talking big tech. Yeah, though those stocks have pumped and they've just continued to roar higher and roar higher. But I mean, I can understand if maybe you're like, well, I don't want to buy more Tesla because Tesla is not down that much. But a lot of these stocks, man, you're down 50, 60, 70 percent. So you, you, you're telling me you can't find any deals in some of these more spec stocks, a little risky. Yeah. I mean, look, if you look at like, for example, Peloton, right? The thing ran up to 190 on a Motley Fool pump. It was like, this was, we're talking like the peaks you're referring to, in my opinion, some of these are just like euphoric peaks. Uh, and, and I think uh, maybe more rather than Peloton, or even like you could even look at a C3 AI, euphoric post IPO peak, Affirm, the lending company, euphoric post listing uh, peak. Uh, but I think maybe, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think more broadly, maybe you're referring to the recovery stock sector. Uh, I, you know, I'm I'm concerned about the recovery stocks. Uh, I do think that, I mean, uh, you know, whether it's Nordstrom or Win or whatever, I do think that some of these, let's see, Nordstrom was 46 at 33 now. I mean, it's not, not quite 50% of those. So maybe you'll have to let me know which ones you're referring to. But uh, some of these, I'm still concerned that they ran up way too much on vaccine hopium that uh, the valuations are just way too high for the amount of debt they have. Sure, their earnings are gonna be great, but you know what I'm really gonna be looking for in these earnings reports going forward is I wanna hear if these CEOs say, look, we got crazy demand, but crap, we don't have the employees uh, to, to service all the customers. So we're actually, are we losing money? Is margin going up? Is margin going down? I wanna see what happens in these earnings. So I'm, I'm not excited about jumping in before these earnings because I think we're going into these earnings with a lot of hope and not a lot of fact. Yeah, you brought up some of the travel stocks. Some of the others that were coming to my mind was something like Voyager Digital that topped out about 30, ah. right? And that's yeah. down to 10, 11. It's not, not worth a little risk reward there. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Corsair Gaming topped out 51. It's It was 28 yesterday. You know, that's not 50%, but, you know, down quite a bit. And then, obviously, a lot of the travel stocks are still significantly off of, um, you know, where, where some of them were had moved to. And there's some others, but I, that was just kind of like a, a general thing because – to bring it back to Andre's point, Andre, you were, you were saying like, you know, what's the big deal? S&P fell, but uh, uh, there's a lot of people that are in some of those stocks that have been feeling the pain. And so yeah. it's kind of like if in the crypto market, usually, you know, all the other cryptos kind of follow Bitcoin, right? If Bitcoin's moving up huge, all the other cryptos follow or if Bitcoin's going down, they all get killed, right? It, it was This would be a situation like Bitcoin and Ethereum are doing great and every other crypto is getting destroyed. And so everybody's like, uh, you know, there's a lot of people feeling pain. And that's kind of the stock market right now. If you're in Apple, Google, uh, Facebook, Amazon, you haven't felt it. Not feeling. But if you're in some of these other plays, you're down 20, 30, 40, 50 plus percent from uh, highs that were reached just a couple months ago. Right. Yeah. Look, I, I, where I will agree with you is actually in uh, something like a Voyager. So. Uh, I personally think this this Bitcoin sell-off is not only a really good test for crypto, but absolutely, it's the entire sector is getting dragged down. So whether it's big digital assets, this thing was like a $4 stock, it's down at like 70 cents right now or whatever, you know? Oh, or or Voyager Digital at 10 bucks. You know, is it going to go back to six? I don't know, right? But the amount of volatility or even Coinbase, the amount of volatility in these crypto stocks, oh, insane. There might be opportunities there, but then you also beg the question of like, or should I just buy some of the coins, right? <laughs> so, so there's a little bit like the crypto space is, I don't know. I want to hear from Andre on the crypto argument. As far as um, Corsair, yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I, I guess what I would look at for Corsair is why did it run up when it did as much as it did? It was there, or did it become, because there was a moment, I think, and, and I could be wrong, but I think for a moment, the thing became a momentum play. It uh, did. If it, Okay, so if if it did, then I wouldn't want to use that measure. Uh, I'm I'm willing to use a different high as long as just not a momentum peak. Yeah. yeah. So so um, BlockFi was offering their private equity deals right to their strategic partners, their social media influencers, and I've been going back and forth on that thing for so long, and I feel like the reason I can't decide is because I'm so heavily invested in crypto already. That I feel like with all with all of these crypto stocks, they're nothing more than just a proxy for Bitcoin. Like literally everything is connected to Bitcoin. Yeah. Like ninety percent, ninety five percent of their performances are so heavily tied to it. So I'm just like, I, I don't feel like I'm diversifying. I just feel like I'm getting the same exposure from three different entrances. And so instead of doing that, I'm just like, you know what? I'm, I would just rather dollar cost average into Bitcoin for now. And not get into like risky private equity deals or even even crypto companies like Voyager or even more Coinbase. I feel like I've got enough of that stuff. And with crypto, uh, did you guys see Jerome Powell's uh, semi-annual report? So he was basically talking about uh, regulating stable coins. So he says in September is when we'll have a lot more clarity as far as what they're going to do. But we're not sure if Congress is going to introduce their own stable coin or if they're gonna regulate what's currently out there on the market. But like, can you imagine if the government came out in September and they were like, by the way, all the stable coins that are currently in the market, yeah, they're not really valid. Like what would happen to their value? And and even if nothing changes, even if nothing changes, let's just say they they have no influence over it. How much fear would the market have in thinking about it that way? How would they regulate it? Why would they regulate it? How? Oh, how? how? 
Well, I don't know exactly how they're going to regulate it, but I mean, that's, I that's, it, that's the problem. It's like nobody knows what they're going to do. I and, feel like if, if they could regulate that, they would regulate the entire crypto market. Well, that's the goal. Stop there. Stable coins, how, much, how much of crypto's value is derived from stable coins? I'd say it's more than 50% at this point. Well, then from, if, from if the that's the case, Heather, from the pumps of, you know, yeah. USDC, GUSD, like how much of their value is derived from those stable? Pumps? Well, then I, I think the, the bigger issue isn't so much regulation. It's Tether. It's the whole Tether thing that uh, it's it's investigation into that. I think that could be a worse thing than than the government coming in and saying, oh, well, uh, don't do stable coins. I mean, that's probably what they could do, right? Or at well, least look into the metrics of Tether. Their, their fear is not Tether. Their fear is is the banking system getting a hold of these stable coins. It, I think it was reported something like 80-something percent, 85%, I believe, of central banks are considering issuing their own stable coins in their own native currency. And so if banks start using these stable coins, which are completely unregulated, can you imagine the amount of like sorcery that would be going on in the, like the shadow banking system as far as like the, I don't know, the leverage, the loans, the like, and, and the government can't follow that. They can't see that. There's no way to regulate that. And so they're like, hold on, before this gets way out of hand and we're recreating 2008 and something we can't even control, we need to regulate this stuff. And which makes perfect sense. And I think that that's the fear is like, I don't know what they're going to do. Are they going to replace it? Are they going to supplement it? Are they like, no one knows. Uh, I, I, I will give my opinion on that. My belief is that at some point in the future, the Federal Reserve will probably be the first to move on this. Uh, at some point in the future, I think they'll move before Congress because, quite frankly, I don't think Congress understands anything about this. Unless there's some crash, you know, th then something will happen faster. But barring some kind of disaster with stablecoins, my expectation is we'll just have a U.S. stablecoin, you know, central bank, uh, central bank digital currency, and it'll just be something that's designed to. Uh, accommodate faster transactions, especially for like uh, cross-border transfers of, of U.S. dollar or something like that. Something where they look at it, go, this is more efficient, this is more transparent, it's safer, there's less fraud, it's faster than wires. Uh, but un until they can prove that it's better, faster, safer, more efficient, transparent, whatever, than wire transfers, I don't know, I think it's going to probably be a few years. I don't know, but it, I, uh, so September, I guess we'll see. But I mean, Jerome Powell said that like we don't really need stable coins. If the government comes right. out with their own, there's like there's no need for all these other ones. So I don't know well, what that you means. mean. You mean if the government comes out with their own, you think that yes. might create the end of other stable coins? But possibly, I'm not that's saying good. it will. I, I think that's a good thing. If if they're able to create a better product that people like and use, I think that that's a good thing, wouldn't it? Um, if, if they have the, if they have the trust in the in the the regulation, you know what you're getting. You're not buying into something like. Maybe tether, where you, you know it's not not so quite obvious. I think, I think long term, you're right, but short term, I think that's going to dec decimate the market. Like people are going to be well, so afraid. I think it's yeah. going to, yeah. People have I to mean, use it though. I, I want to chime in here and just mention that if if all we needed was one stable coin, then why yeah. do we have so many stable coins right now? I don't think the issue is a matter of having just one stable coin. I think the issue is having. A stable coin that you trust versus one that you trust less but are willing to accept a risk reward benefit for so for example why can you get seven or eight percent on usdc or whatever at, at some of these companies and they're paying you interest on uh 
stable coin, which we don't know how many times has been lent out. We don't know how many times it's been collateralized, right? So, so you have this darkness, this shadow that's kind of like, yeah, here, hold my promise of a dollar. But yeah, if you want to earn 8%, then you don't really have that promise of a dollar anymore. It could be lent out many different times. I think really what you're doing then is you have this marketplace of stable coins where you go, okay, I know my stable coin at the USDC or, or like the... It wouldn't be called USDC, but whatever the Fed coin is, I know that's always going to be worth at least the dollar. And I bet you the interest rate on it is going to be a big fat zero. Well, I <laughs> so think that's a, yeah. You can have the Fed coin with zero interest. And then right next to it, it's here's the USDC paying you 8%. Both are promising you a dollar. One is actually backed by the full faith and credit of the United States. And you're actually going to get your dollar. The other is like, Maybe you'll get your dollar, but you'll get some interest in the meantime. <laughs> right. I think that's a really great framework to work around, but I think that's presuming that that's how the Fed thinks about it. They might be thinking about it a whole completely different way. Like we really need to shut this down. We don't want our, we don't want our, you know, like if, if the Federal Reserve is Papa Bank, then all these other central banks are like the kids, right? And the yeah. stable coins are the matches. And it's like, we don't want these kids getting their hands on their matches. So let's just get rid of these matches and just use our own tool. So they might be going about it like that. We we don't know, but I, I think you're right as far as framework goes. That's how you think about it. Um, but I do think that before the government creates their stable coins, I think we'll see privatized stable coins. I think maybe um, DM from Facebook will probably see before before the Federal Reserve stable coin. I think the Fed will be very slow. What, what, yeah. Graham, what do you think about this? You're kind of quiet. I don't. I just don't see how they could regulate it. To be honest with you, I I think besides just like saying they're going to ban it. I, I think if they were going to regulate it, they would they would go for the entire cryptocurrency market. I think realistically, what's probably going to happen is they create their own stable coin that they want to make so good that people prefer to use that over anything else. I think that's what makes the most sense. Then they're doing a service. They get people comfortable with like kind of trusting the government with cryptocurrency. Uh, perhaps it, it's better. People prefer it than just holding cash in a bank account. At least they have a stable coin. Maybe maybe they're able to transfer it from one person to another a lot faster without without wire fees. I just think if they just make a better product, people would use it. I don't know. I think a lot of people, especially in the crypto space, are kind of, you know, I guess anarchists is the right word for it. And 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 they're the last people to be like, yes, I'm gonna use this. <laughs> well, <laughs> not only that, yeah. but also those folks believing that the Fed is gonna create a better product than the free right. market. Right. <laughs> I don't know, Graham. All right. Know. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Listen, you win that one. You but 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 that doesn't mean they can't try. Yeah. <laughs> they could try. That's what I think. I just I can't see them saying, "All right, we're banning stable coins." Right. How would they even begin to do that and then right. actually enforce it? And then if you break that, how are they going to prosecute you? Going through the courts for like, "Oh, he had a stable coin." I just I can't see it. I can't see that actually happening. But Jeremy, but, uh, maybe final thoughts on stable coins and then we can move on. Yeah, final thoughts here. I'm going to ask a question everybody's wondering. And that's, uh, Graham, did you possibly spend the afternoon golfing today? Because that looks like a golf shirt, man. <laughs> I was filming. I got a nice shirt at H&M. It's a first time wearing this shirt. I like it. As soon as I saw you, I, I, I got the vibes. I was like, oh, Grandma just got off the golf course and he's hopping on millennial money now. <laughs> I don't have any thoughts on the, the stable coin thing. It still freaks me out. I, I, Are you still I don't buying know. the Voyager coin? Uh, VGX. 
<laughs> yes, unfortunately. <laughs> Let me look what that's even at. Oh, gosh. I'm getting so killed on that. It's unbelievable. That might end up being my worst investment in my life. Let me see. EGX oh, e coin. Uh, as far as percentage, concept. it's down more than anything uh, I think I ever bought. Um, and that includes GoPro from back in 2017, man. But let me let me check out VGX. Ah, oh, VGX is a dollar sixty-one. Oh my gosh. Wait, wait, how much? What's your total loss? Oh, uh, I would have to log into the Voyager <laughs> to see that. I've tried not to look recently because it's too bad, man. That's like me and Omi. That's like yeah. Oh, Omi is, is that okay? Omi what was going on with that situation? Are you still holding on to that? I still held on to it. Yeah. Wow. I do think long term it can do good, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, you guys probably. Yeah. Also, oh, hold on. Dink Seven. Dink Dink not... going, just keeps going down too. 63,000. If I sold that today, that would be my biggest loss I've ever taken on anything in my life by a lot too. Wow. $63,000. Well, Jeremy, why don't you hold on to it end of the year and then sell it for a tax loss? It, yeah, I could. No, I, my plan has always been with that, no matter what happened with it, is to hold it super long term in hopes that Voyager becomes this big thing and the VGX token is this big core to its uh, rewards program and things like that. So it, it doesn't matter if that's at a dollar or four dollars or six dollars or whatever. I've always planned to just hold that for years and I years know, but, in the future. But you life. could still hold it and take the tax loss. Why wouldn't you just do that? Well, just sell it and then buy it back in. It's it's going to be lower when you buy it back in anyway. Yeah, probably. That's, that's the truth. That's pro true. tip, pro but, tip, sell all of your biggest losers in tax loss harvest for the next 3,000 years. Well, well, yeah, no, no, what I'm trying to figure out is I, you know, with stocks, um, well, with stocks that you have like that, that window there and you don't have any sort of window in crypto, like you could buy it literally one day later. Oh, you mean the PDT rule? Yeah. Wait, wait. Um, yeah, Pure yeah. Voyager, is that, is that the cryptocurrency or the stock? I'm talking about the cryptocurrency. The yeah, there's no, wash, there's no wash sale on that. There's so no technically, wash sale. you could sell it and then buy it right back. There's, there's wow. nothing that says you can't do that. That's what I'm saying. You may as well take the tax loss. And then yeah. I guarantee there's something else that you're paying profit on. So you may as well just offset that. You Probably can buy not. It back. Lower your cost basis. Get it now. <laughs> yeah, right? that, that makes sense. I like that. I like that a lot, Graham. Um, yeah, it mine's well. It, but then again, it's crypto. Who knows? It could be up by the end of this year. You never really know. It goes from a fifty-seven percent loss. I don't to know. 57%. So I well, think, wait a minute. Yeah. It's that. This is actually really interesting. I did not know this about the crypto wash sale. Is is this is this true? True. You could look it up. Um, Obviously, I'm sure the IRS could challenge anything that they want to, uh, but that's true with anything. But yeah, because it's a currency, it's, it's not subject to the rules of a wash sale. And well, is so, that true about gold too? Uh, I don't. I don't. And couldn't gold be a? Uh, com, don't they call it a commodity? Or, commodity yeah. yeah. So, mm -hmm. but yes, it's just strictly cryptocurrency. I mean, it's a currency. So unless they could prove it's a security, which they're not going to be able to, no, it it doesn't apply. And from all, I I spent like a full day doing research on this, and uh, yeah, appears you could says wash rule typically applies to securities, but the IRS treats this as property. So yeah, interesting. 
Well, in that case, I would recommend every time you have a loss, not financial advice. Um, don't sue me, bro. I would literally recommend every time I had a loss, pretty much selling and rebuying, as long as you weren't paying insane fees. That also yeah. might be the fastest way to get audited. <laughs> not necessarily. It's not. It's not for an audit. The hard part would be tracking your buy-in and your expenses. Because even when you sell crypto, I mean, sometimes you'll see it like selling off at like a different price all the way up. It's complicated. There are uh, sites that you could use. I think it's called Coin Tracker that mm. you could log in and you pay for a service that will track your cost basis of every single time you purchase. You link it to like a Coinbase and uh, they will do all of that for you. Actually, I like their I like their set a lot. I uh, I signed up for I yeah I signed up for Coin Tracker a few months ago. I do like it. They just email you like a daily update. Like here's how much your portfolio is up. Here's how much it's down. Here is your tax loss harvest opportunity. It, it's a, it's a good site. I do like it. I like lately. I have not liked seeing their email because uh, it means I'm down. But <laughs> it, it's right. a it's a good it's a good site that I've liked so far. It's interesting. Thanks yeah. for that. All right. So next topic uh going to court tomorrow aren't we yeah yes uh, Kevin, so far graham yeah. graham you sound interested in coming andre and jeremy i think you're you're up well i think it'd be fun how long is it my guess is less than 30 minutes oh yeah that'd be awesome if i if i show up for that what are you willing to do for me kevin Tattoo oh, I'll chef. come over to your house, Jeremy. I'll take care of you. You want to eat some tattoo chef with me or what? Oh, I want to eat something. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. This went away. I didn't want. I just wanted you to buy the dang TTCF stock, man. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> no, so what's going on, Kevin? You're not allowed to use your name anymore or what's going on with this situation? A lot of people are, are like, what's going on, man? Yeah, so long, long and short of it is uh, I my legal name is Kevin Pafrath. 93% uh, of people have no idea what my last name is. Everybody knows me as Meet Kevin. On my business cards going back to 2013, I've always been Meet Kevin. Uh, and uh, in California, there's a law that says you're allowed to have your nickname on a ballot in an election. Secretary of State uh, told me, no, we're denying Meet Kevin. So I made a video last week asking my fans uh, to email the secretary of state, uh, letting them know how they identify me as uh, they got like 4,000 emails in 10 minutes. So wow. thank you <laughs> for doing that. Uh, and the, their attorney called me real fast, really upset <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and said, well, just please take the video down. We'll, we'll let you know. We'll, we'll call you by tomorrow. We'll talk about this tomorrow. Just let us talk to you about it tomorrow. Just take the video down. Uh, and um, I'm like, okay, I'll take the video down if you promise to call me. Anyway, took the video down. They never called me, sent me a letter Saturday night at like 945. And they're like, you're denied. You can't use me, Kevin. Meanwhile, there's a sumo wrestler in 2003 who was on the same exact ballot that I'm going for who gets his sumo name on the ballot, but I can't use meat cap. Uh, and so obviously in an election where every vote counts, it, you know, it's very important that my identity is on there. So we're suing the state of California for that. And I am inviting uh, y'all. Uh, my uh, attorneys mentioned it'd be a great idea if y'all would love to come. I think that'd be wonderful. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and so that way, if the judge wanted to ask like, hey, can you educate me a little bit more on how this YouTube thing works? Y'all could be there and, and speak on that behalf. 
for example, and then I'll stop talking. Graham made a video with with Macy. Uh, it's just one quick example where where he goes, "Oh, we're going to react to Kevin uh, on on." Uh, it was the reaction to the CNBC Millennial Money, yep. and you say. And now we're going to react to meet Kevin and his wife, Lauren. And it was like just a perfect evidence of like, everybody knows me as meet Kevin and, and, and Lauren is Lauren, right? So anyway, that's the long and short of it. And, and of course, you're all invited to, to help support the cause. That'd be awesome. You know what? It's too bad you can't invite all of your subscribers to join. Like, like mass send out a link and have like tens of thousands of people all joining. So... So Kevin, let me ask you, do you think that it's a byproduct of just unfortunate circumstance? Like you just got some bad, you know, policymaker or are they really clued into who you are? They know who you are like, oh, this guy, Kevin, no, let's make his life miserable. It's a really good question. So like before getting into this, I've been very anti-conspiracy anything. Usually like my conspiracy, like if there was a bar of how much conspiracy I am, I'm usually at like the 1% level, right? Uh, it, but now getting into politics, some of the things just start smelling really fishy, right? Like just as an example, Twitter donates hundreds of thousands of dollars. And well, the te big tech, lots of big tech. I, I've got to double check on Twitter, but lots of big tech is donating, in fact, millions of dollars to Gavin Newsom's campaign. I think Facebook's like 27 million. YouTube's donated to him, right? They, they've, they've donated to Gavin Newsom. And now Twitter's saying, oh, we don't do Twitter verifications for recall elections, but we do them for all other elections, right? And so part of you is like, ah, oh, this is, it's very odd how some of the things go together, but that's just one example. Mm -hmm. So going to this, the California, the state of California, the Democratic Party is like, oh, we don't want any Democrat challenging the governor. This is a Republican recall. And I don't really consider myself a Democrat or a Republican. I consider myself somebody who's like right in the middle, like, look, let's just deal with homelessness, crime and schools and traffic because these are issues like everybody cares about or, mm -hmm. or how about the water crisis, right? These are things we should care about. This is very middle Californian issues, I say. But because I've been a registered Democrat since 18 and I'm running under that party, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Democratic Party, you know, somebody just walks through the, the Secretary of State's office, hey, let's let's punish this guy. You know, it's it's just shady because why why do other people get their nicknames but I don't? Wait, and is, do you think it's specifically because you're rocking the boat as a Democrat? Like it's like no, you're you you're kind of ruining our chances. We already got the Democrat that we like, or is it yeah. specifically because Gavin Newsom's like no no this guy no no this guy I hate this guy. Probably both. Uh, okay. is it, and that's conspiratorial. But I, when I say probably both, I should say like, if, if there were a conspiracy, which I think there's like 30, 30 for 30 to 40% chance is kind of where I put it is that there's some like conspiratorial stuff going on. The other 60% is me thinking like, maybe these state workers are just overwhelmed. They don't like some dude, uh, questioning their authority, you know, and it's yeah. just the typical like bureaucratic, like respect my authority, you know, like that, I think that's like a 60% chance. But yeah, I mean, if, if you went the 30, 40% conspiracy side, yeah, I mean, it, it would make sense. It would make, because what, what, what happens is because I'm running, I'm diluting all of their branding, which is this is a Republican recall. It destroys that entire argument. Yes. Kevin, what's the, what are the chances you could have like a, a debate with this Newsom gentleman? Next to zero that 
anyone is going to get a debate with him. See, he's not compelled to do any kind of debate because he's technically not a candidate. He's running against a recall, which right. is the, which is basically a faceless uh, measure on a ballot, right? Uh, so I don't think like, anybody's going to get to debate him. He's like grandfathered in. Yeah. <laughs> it's not fair. It, it isn't. No, it, it, it really isn't. Yeah. Jeez. Dang, man. Are but, you, you know, that's that's the world of politics. So anyway, yeah, it'll be interesting. We'll we'll know. And quite frankly, it'll be a big moment, I think, for all of YouTube because it, like that's that would set a big precedent. This would be the biggest nickname case, especially if we won, right? It'd be the biggest nickname case for social media in, Dude, in, in really politics and name ID ever. That would be so historical. That'd be so yeah. cool. How much is the lawsuit? How much are you in I have that? no idea yet. Really? <laughs> we'll see. Uh, the good news is it's, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's going to be in the tens of thousands of dollars. The good news is it's fast. Because this is an uh, emergency hearing we're requesting, it's impossible for it to accrue the kind of hours that like normal lawsuits would because we started working on this on Sunday and we have a hearing tomorrow at 3 p.m. So like physically wow. there's this beautiful magical limitation because this, is, this has to get decided by 5 p.m. tomorrow. So there will yeah. be a ruling tomorrow. So that's the deadline is 5 p.m. tomorrow for the name of the ballot. Right. And then the judge either compels the secretary of state to go put me, Kevin, on there. And then the final list goes out at 5 p.m. Or the judge says, I don't I don't know, YouTube. Sorry. Now, the person we got. The judge we have is a 50-year-old, which is, uh, is, is, you know, probably, I mean, like, I don't want to come across as, like, ageist ever, but, like, if we had a 70 or 80-year-old judge, I think that'd be really bad for YouTube uh, because the, the, just the demographic of, of people watching YouTube are not 70 or 80. So I think while 50 is still probably a little bit on the higher side, I think there's a lot I think they're probably more involved in YouTube. So maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that makes sense. You know, man, this is crazy how fast everything has to happen in this situation, how fast, you know, this has to be decided and it has to be decided tomorrow and there's no like real time. And then, you know, I worry like, you know, I hope the judge, you know, calls it fair and square, you know, what they truly believe. Because what if, you know, this is where we get into the weird stuff with politics. What if the judge is like a super Gavin Newsom fan? You know, you never really know. Like, um, yeah, yeah, Kevin, how does that work with a conflict of interest? Uh, how do they ensure the judge doesn't have any prior you know, dealings or, or biases? Well, unfortunately, the way that will probably would play out is if we lost, we appealed and then an appeal court determined that. That's my guess. Yeah. I'm not sure about that. What do you, what do you think? Uh, I think, Andre, you were gonna say something. Yeah, no, I was just gonna ask you, how did you get such a fast emergency hearing? Like, how does that work? Because I always hear people like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm going through a lawsuit, but it's gonna take two years before I hear an answer. Like, how does that yeah. work? I've, I've been there. Uh, so there are a few, a few things. Um, one, like you can usually in many lawsuits get temporary restraining order hearings very quickly. So uh, those could be like injunction hearings. Usually you get those within 21 days. 
Uh, now, oftentimes what parties decide to do is they decide to come up with some kind of temporary agreement and then, then the lawsuit goes on for like two years, right, before it gets settled. In this case is different because it's a lawsuit under election law and election law says any election matters go instantly to the top of the list. Got it. That makes sense. That makes sense. Are they more expensive typically than like an average non-election lawsuit or it's not a cost thing? I would say it's probably less expensive because you're you're really what you're trying to do is put together uh, your research, your case. It's you versus really, I mean, the Secretary of State's attorneys are going to be there arguing their case, but it's really it's you presenting your oral arguments. The other side presents their oral arguments and the judge it's kind of, it's I've envisioned it and I haven't gone through it yet, but I envision it much more like a judge Judy where it's like, you present your case, you present your case. Judge Judy goes, well, what about this? Well, what about this? Or what about this? And then I don't know, this is how I'm ruling, you know, and that's done. Right. That's my guess. Who's the I'm sorry. Who's the wrestler? You said the wrestler was uh, running as a Republican or a Democrat. Oh, 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 okay. So you mean the sumo wrestler? Yes. The sumo wrestler, uh, I'll show you. And this is probably the best precedent uh, that, that we really have is um, <laughs> right here. So this is the official recall ballot from 2003. And if I go down here, I get this person, Kurt Takikazi Reitmeier. And when you Google Takikazi sumo wrestler, there's an LA Times article that comes up and it says Takikazi is just his uh, stage name or a sumo name. And I'm pretty sure I can get it pretty quickly. It's a sumo name that uh, uh, that means like the with the strike of the wind or something like that. <laughs> so it's like, you got to use it. Sorry, I think I said, I said that's a Georgian name, like Russian Georgian. But What's that? Georgia. I think that's a Georgian name. A Georgian oh, okay. name? Georgian, yeah. Oh. Tachikaze, yeah. Yeah, here. This is uh, this is the LA Times article. Reitmeier, whose sumo name, Takikaze, means wind from a sword stroke. Hmm. But so anyway, like, he got his name. Where's, where's he, my fairness? How, what, what was their argument for him? He didn't have an argument. He put it on and got it. Wow. So you think it's just it's just you they're targeting and, and uh okay. That's what it feels like. Mm. Yeah. Because wow. see, other people are suing as well right now. I mean, there are other issues, but here's the thing. There's this guy, Larry Elder uh, Elder, who's suing the state of California, and he's suing because he didn't even qualify for the ballot because apparently there was some issue with his tax returns, like the redactions were done poor wrong or something like that. And so he's suing for not being on the ballot, but he's suing because he made a mistake and he's saying like, hey, just because we made a mistake, that's not fair. Like, let us on anyway. Then you've got another person who's suing uh, the former mayor of San Diego who wants his thing to say former mayor of San Diego. But they're like, well, that's not your current job. You can't you can't use what you used to be as your listed profession. So what if he identifies as that? What's that? What if he identifies as that, though? Well, it has, it's a professional designation is, is the problem. So, like, the rules – like, I could say, what, what if I identify as meet Kevin, right? <laughs> Which I think I might say tomorrow. But, uh, yeah, so you've got these two other candidates who are making this argument for, for really what almost seems like special treatment. I'm just looking for equal treatment. So we'll see.
Yeah, and the thing that's ridiculous about this is they could have done like three minutes of research on you and been like, oh, yeah, this guy's legit called me Kevin. You know what I mean? It's, it's not like, you know, you want to go as like, let's say I was running for something political and I want, I'm like, I want to go as Jeremy the Sledgehammer Lefebvre. And they're like, we can't find anything about you being a sledgehammer. You just want to a nickname. Right. But that's why I'm more inclined to believe the 30% quote unquote conspiracy part of it, because it just seems like it's like, ah, oh, this YouTuber annoying kid, like just get him off the ballot. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's yeah. exactly kind of what it feels like. Uh, and it's, it's unfortunate, but I'll tell you, it's just, there've been so many things so far that just make me go, wow, this, this is how, this is how the game's played. And it's just, a lot of it's like it just gets more dirty when you start opening your eyes to it, and it's like, oh, can you share? <laughs> you know? Can you share what some of those things might be? Uh, no. Or is it something? Yeah, I mean, it is well, the spying. In, in time. Let's see favorite, what happens right? tomorrow. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I was gonna say the the not the spying, but like you had people drive by your house. Does that still happen? That not so much anymore, uh, which is good. You know, I don't know if it was just an initial thing or whatever, but. Um, yeah, that, that not so much anymore, thankfully. Hey, Andre, uh, I saw a good question posted in our uh, our member chat here. I think I think it's a question for you. It says, question, I thought crypto was a hedge against the USD printing. So if the government makes a coin that is tied to the dollar, then why use it? That's a great point. Um, that's a great question. So the reason is, is because if the government's printing their stable coin and we're using it to pump the crypto market, I mean, it's just going to continue going up with the stable coins printing. So it, as long as you're invested in it, you're, you're kind of riding that wave. But um, that's a good question. That's a good point. So if, we, if the government starts printing an infinite amount of these, right, and starts putting it into Bitcoin, I mean, what would happen? Bitcoin's price would go up. So as long as you're invested in it, I mean, you're, you stand to benefit from it. Yeah. And Kevin, if you don't mind expanding on something, you, you brought up this earlier around the banks, the big banks potentially being interested in getting their hands on, on stable coins. If I recall, it was you that brought that up. Like, why would the banks want to get their hands on stable coins? Would this be something that's kind of a game changer for their business models and, and make them much more profitable, at least in the short term, and then create a wreck? Like, what, what, what's the incentive for them to even be involved with stable coins? Yeah, uh, so the best example I have right now is JP Morgan. They have something known as the JPM coin, and it's built on the Ethereum network. And they use it for transfers between them and other banks. So they've made an agreement with other banks that, hey, like if we need to send you money, rather than us sending you money in dollars, let's just send you JPM coins, which are worth one dollar. And we'll be able to send that back and forth instantaneously without having to go through intermediaries uh, like the Fed uh, through wire transfers. So they're actually using it as a way to represent potentially hundreds of millions of dollars. And so they're doing probably the largest scale tests of these stable coins. I believe the Federal Reserve will probably end up partnering with big banks like JPM uh, to, to inherit essentially their experiences. That's a good point. Yeah. So it's faster, it's cheaper, uh, it's more efficient, um, more transparent for them, which is what they love. And it's, it's just a representation really is, is really what it is, right? It's a representation yeah. of, of the dollar and it's so much easier to just transact on the blockchain. Well, in this case, it's like, I mean, the current system, we're trading sort of derivatives, like kind of promises, which is why they take several days to settle. We need these intermediaries. We need these people and these companies to verify, like, did this person have money? Did they send it to the correct place? 
But with this, it's kind of like truly digital, right? In the sense that like it's instant and you're actually transferring money and not promises of money. And that's kind of what it's solving is, is actual money, actual money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but but I'm, I'm still trying to understand why would, let's say, JP Morgan benefit? Are they going to make a bunch more money because they're doing this? Or is it just kind of like something that helps their customers so it helps them? You know, so, Jeremy, are you, are you asking in terms of like how it is today or with the Fed? Uh, I'm asking today. more Sorry. in terms of, you know, JP Morgan creating this JPM coin. Uh, is this anything that's going to help their business model in terms of is this going to help them bring in more revenue, profits, anything like that? Or is this just, you know, like a, mm. like a side? I like, think it's too early for that. Uh, you know, I, I imagine whatever marginal cost, cost savings they'll get out of this it will just be offset by research fees and labor costs and actually putting it all together. So I don't think the intention right now is profit, but uh, it, it, now it's more research-based. I think in, in the long term, though, Oh yeah, uh, if 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 you know they figure out the this coin model, I think it's gonna be huge for banking and and uh, efficiency will just go skyrocketing. Not, not only banking but crypto in general because the more on and off ramps you create, you know, if like you imagine Bitcoin as like a central hub and you have the different bridges from different points, you're increasing that velocity and the uh, amount of entrances, I guess, from different points. And so banks will integrate crypto at some point, like custody of accounts of Bitcoin you know, of Ethereum or whatever it might be. But as far as how they benefit today, as far as their business model, I, this is like the more 30% conspiracy part where it's like, you know, part of the shadow banking system where it's like they can kind of fly under the radar of the Federal Reserve where they can, mm -hmm. you know, the children can do things dubiously without dad knowing about it. But that's, you know, I'm not saying that's what will happen, but that's what the Fed fears might happen if they start integrating that stuff before they regulate it. Yeah, Graham, have you ever thought about buying some of these big banks like JP Morgan, just dollar cost averaging and something like that, or Goldman Sachs, like one of the really well-run ones? And I'm not talking JPM. about like Wells Fargo and stuff. JPM? JPM. I, yeah, I think I have like 70, 80 grand in JP Morgan stock. Ooh. I have not bought. I, I, I stopped buying a while ago. Uh, right? It was right after COVID. So, yeah, it would be uh, around $100 was where i stopped buying i bought the bulk of it probably in like the, the high 80s to low 90s stopped when it hit 100. it's tempting i really like them and i have to say i'm a huge fan of their bank i like their loans i like their service there's there's a lot to them that i that i, just, I really enjoy i think they're a really good company i like their ceo i think he has some really good insights in the market and um i would consider buying more Wow. Okay. And, and, you know, what's the difference for those uh, that are interested? What's the difference between being a private client at Chase and in a private bank at Chase? What, 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 what do you yeah. need to get in those different things? Different. Yeah, totally different banks. Um, so so the JP Morgan private bank is, is completely separate from Chase. It's, it's like within the same house, but it's like, they're over here, the other people over here, you know, there's not a lot of communication between the two. The JP Morgan private bank just gives you a person that you could call up at any point for any issues. Like imagine Bank of America. You want to get a hold of someone at Bank of America, good luck. You, you can't do it. You have to physically go in a branch, stand in line, try to talk to somebody. And even then, it's sometimes 50-50. I've had so many times where they tell you, oh, you know, you actually have to talk to this person, but they're out of lunch right now. We have this other branch that you could go to. But 
with JP Morgan, you have a, a, a team of people that you could call for anything you need to, or you just email them and they get back to you immediately and they just help you out. It's like talking with a friend. Hey man, uh, this issue. You know what? It reminds me kind of like the customer service for the for American Express, where I guess for the plat I guess for the platinum cards kind of got downhill. But uh, it used to be where you'd be able to call them up, within thirty seconds you'd have a representative on the phone who was doing anything to help you out. Imagine that, but with a bank with no fees. That's How many subscribers do you need to have a Chase private bank? Uh, at least 10 million subscribers. No, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, it, it depends. I got in through a uh, relationship with the Oppenheim Group, and that's how I was able to get in like four years ago. But what are the yeah. actual requirements? Uh, te technically, it, it's $10 million of investable assets, but I've mm -hmm. heard they've lowered it down on a case-by-case -case basis to $5 million. Oh, wow. Well, now, why did you want to get in? Is it just is it just for that customer service, or were there any other benefits that you saw? Mortgages for your mortgages. Okay. Oh, the mortgages are incredible. I had I got two mortgages through the J.P. Morgan Private Bank. I've never had an easier experience. The entire process was twenty minutes over the phone, and they got me a loan at the lowest interest rate. Well, let me just zoom in for a second and say. This is like, you know how people complain like, oh, the rich people have it so easy. It's so much easier. It's like, it's the, the people who get the loans is, are the people who need it the least. Well, that's how loans work though. You want to loan your money to, to, to where it's as safe as possible. And sure. when you have someone with a high income, with a good credit score, with sure. plenty of collateral, you are the right. safest borrower. So it makes sense that those are the people who they're more likely to lend money to. I'm just pointing out the irony that it's just. I know, but it didn't. But but here's the thing: it's like you have to go through that ringer. Like when I was 21, no bank wanted to give me a loan. So I think it's something that anyone could build up to. It just it takes time. You you, you gotta get you know you gotta go up the totem pole on this, and so you got you gotta get jerked around a little bit, and then whoa, you know, whoa, and then whoa. years later. You know, you know, not like that. Jeremy. that that's not for like Kevin that. to do with Jeremy I, later. Yeah, <laughs> your hand movements. Okay, your hand movements. Kevin, what's yeah. your favorite bank? You like JPM the best of the bunch? It's, or what it's fine. Yeah, they're okay. Uh, uh, look, just me, okay? what Graham said is is right on. It's, I think people like to hate the player when they should be hating the game. Uh, it's very easy to bag on, you know, wealthier people. Oh, they get all these special privileges. Just like it's very easy to complain that, oh, Amazon pays no taxes, right? Like we hear that. But then when you actually look at, like, when you peel back the layers, it's like, ah, well, wait a minute. Those people who started or, or might be wealthy now, they started with that $500 credit limit on Target just like you, or they started with that secured card. Now, sure, there's maybe 20% of people who whatever who inherited their wealth, but most millionaires are self-made. Certainly more than, I would say, two-thirds are self-made. And so you know, when, when you look at it that way, it's like, well, look, here's what the game is. If you want to play it, go play it. And there are plenty of people, there are plenty of YouTube videos who tell you exactly how to play the game. But what bothers me is when people are like, oh, well, I just can't get involved in real estate because I don't have a JPM lender that a mortgage banker I could just call up. Well, then get off your butt and call five or six different lenders and find somebody who is willing to work with you and is hungry to work with you and make a deal happen. When I first got my loan, uh, for when I first went to qualify for a home, I, qu I qu called six or seven different lenders. I got denied by all but one. And guess what happened the next six years? All the other properties I bought, I went back to that one person 
who gave me the opportunity. And all the other people are like, Kevin, Kevin, oh, now you're doing all this real estate. I want to be your lender. I'm like, remember that one time you told me no? Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> wow. why I don't buy a blue heron house. I got a long story, but I don't want to get into that. Not, oh, not no. no, I got to hear this. Wait, wait, what? You can Okay, all right, Andre. So there's a luxury home builder here in here in Vegas, yeah, blue heron. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very well known if you, if you got a lot of money and you want a custom house, essentially. Well, uh, this is when I was starting my real estate marketing company. I was trying to just do some photos of, of a pretty property so I could have like, you know, stuff I could show potential clients, right? Send them in emails and, and stuff like that. Well, I had this thing I was supposed to, they were supposed to allow me to one of their model homes to take pictures, you know, drone pictures, just random pictures and stuff. And um, last minute they asked me, you know, for a bunch of my work. And here I was, I was just going to take photos like, you know, and, and I had to show them what I had, but I had very little work at that time because I'm trying to like build up. So I get work. And then last minute, they're like, no, you don't have enough work. Uh, so we're not going to allow you to take pictures of our, our model home. And I was just, that was like devastating to me because it was already like agreed upon that I was going to do this. And then last minute, somebody else butted in and all for me to just take some dang photos of that model home. And uh, so, yeah, it left a, a sour taste in my mouth. And I have no interest in ever buying a home from them. Mm. So. Wow. Did you guys actually know that uh, Tom from MySpace, the guy who created MySpace, is actually one of the biggest investors in uh, Blue Heron? I don't like him either, then. <laughs> <laughs> that's why MySpace went down. And that's why I'm buying more Facebook stock. That's awesome. Until I found out they were giving money to Gavin Newsom. So now I need to sell it. <laughs> I stopped. I, I just can't like anybody now. Wait, wait, wait. You're still invested in Facebook. Bro. I know I am. I, traitor. am. I know. I'm sorry, Kevin, man. <laughs> I apologize. I just like money, man. I like money more than politics. What can I say? <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, don't get Kevin. into politics. <laughs> hey, Kevin, with with now you getting in politics and you knowing about you know some of these big tech companies maybe funding Mr. Newsom here, uh, does this ever change your perspective in the future on buying those certain stocks if they were to sell off? Hmm. Um, you know, I think that's more of like a. I I think you I don't. That's a really tough one to answer. I I don't know if. You know, a company's political lobbying, which is really just them trying to do the best for their company, right? I don't know if that is a factor in in how we invest or whether it should be. Now, if, if a company's doing something unethical, then then maybe that is, right? But you know, okay, because they're donating to to, to Newsom, who's my competitor, am, am I now that's it, now I'm shorting Facebook. I, I think that would be emotional. That's a good that's a good point, Kevin. And that, that brings me to even a bigger point I would love to ask you guys, because I don't know if you've ever uh, thought about this before. But are there certain companies you wouldn't invest in because uh, maybe you feel they're bad uh, in terms let's let's like a tobacco company? Would you ever invest mm -hmm. in a tobacco company? Or is that yeah. like I couldn't touch that because I'm against smoking? What um, about a casino company? Well, there's some people that get addicted to, to casinos. What about an alcohol company? What's your yeah. take on that? I, I don't. I don't see a problem. Well, first of all, I think look if they're if people are worried about like mental health issues related to either substance or drug or gambling abuse, then then we should be having a conversation about solving our mental health crisis, not about telling people what to do. Like I'm a big fan of let people gamble, let let people drink alcohol, you know, whatever. Like like if if somebody. If somebody's worried about DUIs, then enforce DUIs. If you're worried about mental health problems, then solve mental health problems. But but telling people what to do, I, I'm not a big fan of. Uh, but as far as being an investor, I typically, 
find myself just investing in things that I really understand really well. Anytime I invest in something I don't understand well, I get really panicky way too quickly. And like, it's like my emotions get amplified because I just don't know enough. Like when somebody talks crap about Tesla, I don't care. I feel like I know the company so well, I can argue it till I'm blue in the face, not worried about it. But if I go into a company like, like I really want to invest in cybersecurity, but I know so little about it. So how am I supposed to defend the company when I don't know cybersecurity that well, right? That's not to say it's not a good industry. That's not to say it's the, the right long run play. It's just, I just don't know enough. So like maybe if I was like a Kathy Wood and I had a team of 10 people and one of the people was like, Kevin, I've worked in cybersecurity for 10 years. Here's what you got to know. This is what you got to look for. Well, gosh, I feel a lot more comfortable. I don't have that, A. And B, I certainly don't have that for tobacco. <laughs> yeah, and Kevin, that's a great point. I mean, you probably know uh, about as much as about cybersecurity as you do about frozen food. What about you, Andre and Graham? I would love to hear from, from you guys on this perspective. Would you ever not invest in a company because any of those things we talked about before? Yeah, the, the question of ethical investing is something I got so much crap for when I used to show my dividend portfolio. And I was like, oh, I have a ton of Philip Morris and mm. you know, Altria and... Oh. Uh, Gosh, what else did I have? I had, anyway, I have, I had a ton of stuff that was, I guess, the dividends, yeah. Yeah. And uh, the sin stocks, I suppose you can call them. And it's funny because it, it's such a personal issue that like everybody's ethics and morals, it's like, where do you draw your personal line in the sand? And I think everybody wants to make it very objective. Like you should objectively never invest in sin stocks or this or that or the other. And my argument is the moment that anybody tries to get objective with it, like factually, like this is wrong. And I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. If that's where you're going to draw your line in the sand, let me just back up a foot and let me just say, where do you live? Oh, you live in the U.S. Oh, you're a first world country person. Oh, <laughs> oh you think that you're innocent. Oh, you think that because you don't own Philip Morris that you're not actually like pillaging the world. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> It's just, it's such an ignorant perspective to me when people try to speak about it so objectively, especially coming from a first world nation that it's like, you have no idea the amount of involvement we're all connected. Even, even somebody who is, let's say, a company that's so beloved, like let's say Apple, you guys think they have no business ties with suppliers or people that are involved in like massive amounts of pollution and, uh, you know, questionable amounts of integrity? Like, come on, let's grow up. They're, I don't know. I don't know where to draw that objective box and box you in and say like, this is wrong. I, otherwise, I think it's a very subjective issue. That, that's just my perspective. That's a great point. Yeah, Andre said it perfectly. Um, when it comes to myself, I usually really only invest in companies that, that I like and use. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's fun to go to the win and encore every now and then. And it, well, as long as I went as, as long as I'm up. So I, I mean, I have no problem investing in those companies. Uh, so I think usually I'll invest in companies that I like and use. Um, but otherwise I tend to look at it objectively. And like Andre said, we, we each have a, a different idea of what's acceptable and what's not. And so I, I usually try not to uh, concern myself with that. The, the yeah. stock, the stock I got it on was Facebook. You know, when I was invested in Facebook or anytime I talk about that, I always will see comments Oh, Facebook's the devil. They don't support, you know, they don't allow free speech and all this stuff. And it's just like, you know, Oh, gosh, man. But yeah, there's there's always those certain, you know, companies that, that mm -hmm. get a lot of that stuff. Right. But um, yeah. Anyways, the, 
that's a, it's an interesting subject and it's one well, you know, I think people think about. I will I will say that one thing I have objectively I guess evolved on morally is uh, prison stocks I, I, I'm like uh, you know I, mm. I, I really don't feel good about this one I agree their dividends are off the charts and I'm just like I just I can't do it I don't yeah. think prison system should ever be monetized it doesn't make sense to me I'm with you, Andre. The private prison system, that's so sketch. And it's just a yeah. bad business model. It's like, oh, it's the most, yeah, yeah. That that's the one I'm with you. I can't ever yeah. touch that. Like objectively, I'm just like, I'm done with it. Yeah. And, and, and I will say smoking uh, is, is a hard one for me to touch because I don't know if this is true, but I've heard of these companies pushing out in other countries, you know, uh, more third world countries, like pushing cigs to even like kids and stuff. Right. right. And um that's the type of stuff I'm like, oh gosh, you know, you, you could never get away with that, obviously, in the United States. But, you know, over there where there's not regulations and you also have a supplier giving this stuff to kids, I'm like, that, that's that's a hard one for me as well. Yeah. But then you get into the issue of like, well, do other companies employ child labor? Like, does Apple do it in China? Like, where do you draw that line? I don't know. True. It's true. Yeah. Nike used to get that all the time back in the day. I remember they might still be getting it, but I remember back in the day, they used to get that all the time. Right. I, I, yeah. So, Kevin, how are you going to fix all California's problems? <laughs> it's, look, there's so much. Well, uh, wow. Look, it's one of the reasons I have, I have such a detailed plan on my website at meetkevin.com. Uh, because to me, you can't fix one thing without trying to fix other things. Like, you can't fix homeless on our streets without fixing education. And you can't fix uh, poverty without fixing education and crime and enforcement and which laws should we be enforcing more and why are we turning a blind eye to so many men uh, others right like did I tell, stop me if I mentioned this last week did I just talk about the fire hydrants last week yes okay remember you remember that uh, that won't bring it up again. basically people are stealing water from fire hydrants so rather than deal with the crime they're removing fire hydrants right and like <laughs> yeah yeah it, it, it's the same logic as in San Francisco, there's so many people stealing from like Neiman Marcus or Walgreens that they're just closing the stores early. Well, like, how about enforce the crime, right? Or, or how about more police? Or how, you know, like, it, it's it, the, the way California goes about solving its problems are just illogical. But there's so, there's so much illogicness, <laughs> and I totally, I think, just made that word up, uh, that it, it's going to take some serious work. Uh, and, and so what, what I just keep saying is, I don't know of anybody who's going to work harder than me at fixing that. <laughs> this is true. You know what? It reminds me of remodeling a house where it's like you can't just remodel the kitchen and then leave the bathroom all outdated. You can't just leave the master bedroom then completely unfinished. It's like it's one thing to another. If you want to do one thing, you may as well do this. And then if you're doing that, well, you may as well start over. This, and this is triggering me. This is triggering me. This is tear down the house. I was going to say, this is, over. This, this is leading right to uh, Andre and his rental property situation. <laughs> what? Not my rental property. Or your, your flip. I, actually, I was thinking about your flip. My house. No, no. I'm not even in that deal just yet. But I'm talking okay. about my house. Okay. I, I think I said it last week, but just please don't ever buy an appliance that anybody claims is new or like new or floor model ever. Just don't do it. Uh, yeah. I bought that $8,000 fridge and it's, I, I think I've sunk like $1,500 into it to try to repair it. And we repaired it, but apparently the Freon in, in the fridges, I guess that there's some kind of a micro leak 
and they have to like basically take apart the whole fridge just to isolate where that leak is. And I'm just oh like, kind of like an investing, you know how a stock just like, just destroys you and you're like, well, I'm down this much. I'm just gonna write it to zero. I'm not gonna sell this. <laughs> I know a lot of us sometimes think that way, but like, it's like the sunk cost fallacy. I just called it and I'm like, you know what? I'm done with this fridge. I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut my losses. I'll sell it for whatever, $5,000 if I have to let somebody else repair it, buy a brand new one and just lesson learned. Wow, that's insane, Andre. I mean, I would have been, I would have had questions when, you know, uh, eight thousand dollars. It sounds so cheap for a refrigerator. Like, you know, like, well, like it was nine and a half new. It was, it was nine and a half new. So it's, oh, it's like it's not that far away from, you know, like new. I, I was kidding, by the way. But yeah, no, 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 no that's the kind of guy that's like, what yeah. Apple Pen? <laughs> no, but that, that's that's insane that you you had issues spending that much because you know most fridges are what two, three k, maybe four k, and to yes. spend that much, you would expect you know that baby to be working perfect. So <laughs> the dude who spent thirty grand. <laughs> if, if you don't mind, before we end, I want to ask y'all about the Robinhood IPO. Uh, I'd love to start with Graham on this. Yeah. Um, I'd be really, listen, I'm not gonna buy in immediately. I, I have no qualms about investing in Robinhood. I think they've, they've cornered the market. They have, a, they have a, uh, an interface that is undeniably probably one of the, the easiest things to look at. And uh, I would probably, I want to wait for the dust to settle because I feel like there's so many, there's so much emotion surrounding it. Like people are really just like, oh, I'm going to short them. Let's, could we short them on Robin Hood? And it's like, well, kind of defeats the purpose, but uh, <laughs> all righty. <laughs> Seriously, it's like the questions like that makes no sense to me. So I think, um, I think it's probably going to take a few months for things to settle. After a few months, I'll certainly evaluate. I have no problems investing in Robinhood. And um, I just, I want to see where they land. I want to see where the chips fall and then I can make a decision. So like for me, I feel like it's one of those situations where like, like personally, I've learned my lesson with IPOs <laughs> never to invest on day one. But on the same side, I feel like our world, our perspective on the internet is like, oh, Robinhood, like nobody likes them. But that's like 10% of the actual people who might be representing the actual I don't know, their user base. So I would not be surprised if like day one, they take off like a rocket and we're just like, great. Yep, yep. <laughs> That's literally how it happens. It's like you get burned on one IPO because it falls after you buy it. And yeah. then the very next IPO, you're like, I'm not touching IPOs. It just goes to the moon. <laughs> oh, yep. I can see that. Oh, I think they're underpricing. I'm going to be transparent about that. I think they're underpricing. Uh, they're trying to go for 38 to $40. I think it's going to be worth way more than that. Uh, their last EPS annualized puts them at about a uh, dollar of PE ratio per per uh, per share price. So if they end up trading for $100, that would be an annualized, uh, you know, 2021 price to earnings ratio of 100, which for Robinhood might doesn't even sound that ridiculous mm. uh, in, in 2021 PE ratio terms. So now is there, are their numbers going to stay as strong as Q1? Probably not because you had Dogecoin, uh, you know, and, and, and you had a lot more activity then. But then again, you look at interactive brokers today, interactive brokers killed it. Like they're, they're, they beat, they beat revenue. They, they beat users. They beat on everything. They, it was really good. And, and so that's, that bodes well, I think for Robinhood. Uh, and so, uh, 
I think at thirty-eight to forty-two dollars, that's like they're saying their annualized PE for twenty twenty-one should be thirty-eight to forty-two dollars or whatever. Bargain, man. Mm. So uh, yeah, as far as my thoughts, first off, uh, I'm reading on my favorite app. It's called the Hungry Bowl, and I was just reading on the Hungry Bowl right now that it says, according to SEC filings released today, Robinhood is hoping to receive a market valuation of thirty-five billion ahead of its public offering. So here's my thoughts about Robinhood. The issue is they are they're going public right after they had this incredibly hot year with insane numbers, right? Everybody has to spend time at home. Everybody was getting in the stock market. Well, I don't want to say everybody, but a ton of people. Um, the amount of new investors into the market has gone down dramatically over the past few months, right? You had this huge ramp up. And so now where are the user growth numbers going to come from from Robinhood? I think it's going to slow substantially substantially and if you have a, a pretty decently high valuation and then your 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 new users slow substantially because all of a sudden the crypto market's falling right which is, is something that's slightly benefited them but really the the stocks you know just stocks has benefited them so much and to kevin's point about like somebody like interactive brokers right well a company like that they benefit from people graduate uh graduating right like essentially you might start out on a robin hood a weeble something like that right and then as you get in the market more you 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 move on and you get to somebody like a td ameritrade a fidelity investments or an interactive brokers and so Robinhood, i think is in a tough position where they're going to have these ridiculous year-over-year -year comps to comp against and um I think they should have probably waited a year uh, before they went public so they could show more realistic numbers. But I think they can raise more money this way. But I think it's going to hurt their stock price over the next year or two, if that makes any sense. You, you kind of want to go public when you're hot because you can raise yep. more money. But then it makes it harder for your stock to perform any, you know, in any good manner for, you know, any time after that IPO, essentially. So, yeah, I'm not interested personally in it. But um, I'll, I'll be watching. That's for sure. Nice. Take us away, Graham. Did, did yeah. you give your opinion, Andre? Yep. I did. Yes. Oh, okay. okay. Cool. Then take right, us guys. away, Graham. So <laughs> subscribe. Subscribe. Really quick. Really quick. Really quick. Before you leave, click the little subscribe button. I guarantee like half the people watching this right now are not subscribed. That's got to change. It's, it's totally free to do takes you a split second and then while you're at it you may as well hit the like button also make sure to uh to add the millennial money clips channel the link is down below in the description with some other little goodies there thank you guys so much for watching i really appreciate it and until next time peace